Nats Chat is brought to you by Walters. The weekend is upon us, and Walters is a great spot to gather for brunch. From chicken and waffles to Walters breakfast tacos, Walters menu has something for everyone. On top of that, for only $20, enjoy bottomless drinks, including mimosas, Bloody Marys, Trulies, and old-time lagers. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Anything that you want to know, just ask Scott. Uh, he has everything for you guys. Um, for me, I'm just going to keep playing baseball. It feels really bad uh, to see stuff going out like that because I'm a guy who keep everything on my side, keep everything quiet and try to keep it just there and me, but they just take the decision and do whatever they need to do. Here is the pitch. Swinging a slow ground ball up the first baseline. Olsen has it to the bag himself, and the game is over. And the Braves have done it to the Nationals again. And unfortunately for the Nationals, their losing streak now stretches to the longest of the year. They have dropped nine in a row. And welcome to Nats Chat for Sunday, July 17th. 2022. It is MLB Draft Day. Uh, We on Sunday night have the start of the 2022 MLB Draft in which the Nats have the number five overall pick. You know, this is or at least should be an exciting day if you're a Nats fan, but uh, you are forgiven if you are not excited on this Sunday. How could you be excited? We on Saturday had really one of the more disheartening days in recent Washington, D.C. sports history, along with MassInSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who is at Nationals Park. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Juan Soto appears as good as gone. And I hate saying that, and maybe it turns out that that's not the case. But right now, I don't know how you feel any other way. And this is, of course, a crushing blow in the midst of a crushing season for the Nats. They on Saturday lost again, lost their ninth consecutive game, lost for the 15th time in 16 games, a 6-3 loss to the Atlanta Braves at Nationals Park in Game 3 of a four-game series, a game that included a near two-hour rain delay, by the way, as if we didn't have enough bad things with the Nats on Saturday. But it was hours before the loss that we had major news, blockbuster news, in fact, Uh, multiple reports that Juan Soto has turned down a 15-year, $440 million contract extension offer from the Nats, who thus have become open to trading him prior to this year's MLB trade deadline. So, so much for Mike Rizzo saying that he won't be trading Juan Soto. Of course, nothing is certain, 
But the reality is we may well be watching the final games for Juan Soto in an ads uniform. And even if we aren't, it does not at all feel like he is long for the Nats. Uh, Mark, Saturday was some day. This is some season for the Nats, but Saturday was some day. You know how we've been uh, playing all these old clips from last July? Al, Tim's been doing a great job putting those together, and we keep pointing out of how last July was so monumental for the franchise in so many bad ways. And every single day that month, something new came up that was just devastating and ultimately led them to the point where they tore down the whole franchise. And I feel like we're heading in that same direction, maybe even worse. This July arguably has been worse in a lot of ways. They've still only won one game, by the way. Let's like not forget about that part. They're on a nine-game losing streak. They've lost 15 of 16. They cannot beat anybody else in the NL East. And oh, by the way, they also can't get Juan Soto to agree to any long-term extension. Now, there's a lot to talk about with this, but my top line kind of takeaway from all of it was this. Not really very much about any of this came as a surprise to me in terms of the facts of what is actually going on here. I think we've known they've been trying to make him offers. They've been slowly increasing those offers. I think we've also known all along the odds of him agreeing to one at this point were very, very low. So that's not a surprise to me that he's turned any of them down. I think the surprise to me is that it got out and probably in a calculated way. Somebody wanted that put out there today. And therefore, the ramifications of that being public and what it may mean, whether it means it's at the end of this month or whether it means it's in the offseason or next year, whenever that might be. That's the part that surprised me. The actual facts of it, to me, are not all that surprising. I think it's kind of going exactly along where I thought it would at this point. I want to get to the nature of the offer in a bit, but let's hit on what you just brought up, which is that this news came out. So anytime something like this comes out, you always have to ask the question, well, who is the leaker or who are the leakers? Because these contract terms are not officially announced by anyone. They get reported, right? Sources close to the situation say. And so if you just think about this logically, it doesn't make any sense for Camp Juan Soto to have leaked this stuff out. It makes a lot of sense for the Nationals to have leaked this stuff. And sure enough, I don't know that anything stood out as much as what Juan Soto said to you and a few others prior to the game on Saturday. Uh, He was not happy about this news having been leaked. Quote, it feels really bad to see stuff going out like that because I'm a guy who my side keeps everything quiet and tried to keep it to them and me. End quote. You have to wonder. You can't not wonder. If the Nats leaked this news in an attempt to make themselves look good and make Soto look greedy, because that headline of Soto turns down $440 million plays a certain way with a lot of people. Never mind that the contract in a lot of ways is a below market value contract, and we can get to that. But yeah, man, I'm with you. This reeks of the Nats having put this out there. This reeks of the Nats having put this out there because Soto's saying no, and the Nats are trying to put their spin on this. And, you know, Soto doesn't sound too happy about that. He doesn't sound happy. And I can tell you being in the room and both what I sensed before he spoke to us during and then after, he was really not happy about this getting out there. Okay. I give him a lot of credit. I didn't think he was actually going to talk to us. I thought he was going to deflect and just say, you know, talk to Scott Boris, my agent about that. I don't really have any comment on it. To his credit, he stood there. There were only a few of us talking to him and he gave some pretty honest answers 
on the subject and just on the general state of things. And so I give him a lot of credit for that because he was doing it through gritted teeth. He did not want to be discussing this, especially the timing of it right before he goes to Los Angeles for the home run derby and the all-star game, because he knows that this is now all he's going to be asked about when he gets there, touches down in LA late Sunday night. And that's not at all what this all-star game should be about for Juan Soto. And instead you've got the rest of the baseball world now foaming at the mouth, thinking that Juan Soto is available to the highest bidder and every team. And I already saw it, you know, articles coming out from all kinds of different cities about, well, here's what this team could offer. And here's what this team's, uh, somebody on the roster said, oh boy, they'd love, they think he'd be a perfect fit with us. And we could do this, we could do that. And that to me is the worst part of it all is the frenzy this is going to create. And Juan, you could tell, was not at all happy about that part of it. I agree with you. You think through this logically, there's not a whole lot of reason for Juan Soto or Scott Boris or anybody affiliated with them to put this out there. And the fact that Soto himself was telling us, and I believe him genuinely, that he does and has tried to keep this thing quiet all along. He has not wanted to negotiate this publicly at all. From the national standpoint, think back, you know, how many different times have we gone through this now over the last five years? Bryce Harper, Anthony Rendon, Trey Turner. And in each case, you had the question of how did the team come out of that looking and how did they handle the PR aspect of it? And I think you've seen a progression here where they have become the aggressors more so. And they are trying to stay out in front of it and let the world know, hey, we made an offer and not a phony baloney offer. We made an offer with no deferrals in it and a record setting number and that. So, hey, don't blame us. Don't say we're not trying to do this. Don't say we're not trying to keep one of the best players in baseball for the rest of his career. So I think it's very calculated there. Now, whether that actually means that they are actively shopping him right now or not, I don't know the answer to that. I think if you're Mike Rizzo, you look at this and say, well, let me let it be known. Or if it's not him, I'm, I'm not saying that Rizzo himself is the one who put it out, but he's got to approach it now as though he's a part of it. Okay. The world knows that we're at least listening to offers. So let's hear what there is. I would still say it's going to take a gargantuan package of prospects in return for him to make the move right now. There is no reason they have to do this right now. He's under contract for two and a half more years. You could always look at this in the off season. You could look at it beyond that. And I keep coming back to this fact that above all else, and we keep mentioning this, there are so many major questions this organization is facing right now. How can you answer some of these until you know the answer to the biggest question of them all? Who is the owner of the team? So are you going to trade Juan Soto before knowing who the owner of the team is? And whether that owner might say, hey, I'm going to write a blank check. I'm going to give him $500 million, whatever that might be. That seems very odd to me. So I'm not taking this as, oh, he's definitely being traded by the end of the month. But I think it's really unfortunate how this is all played out. And you can understand where the different motivations might be. Yeah. I mean, I think you take this as he could be traded by August 2nd. The language of the reporting was interesting. The word that kept being used was the Nats are entertaining trading Soto. Not that like they're dead set on trading Soto, but you know, if you're entertaining something, then you're obviously very much open to doing that something. And, you know, now that we have Soto mad at the Nats for leaking this stuff, and you have the Nats, even worse than I think anyone could have reasonably anticipated. And you have the state of the farm system, which isn't very good. And you have a multitude of other factors which have always lent themselves to Soto accepting a long-term contract extension, probably not being very likely. 
you're probably going to end up not signing him. And so I think in a lot of ways, if you're Mike Rizzo, you have to see it as if it is inevitable that we're going to have to trade Juan Soto, then it probably should be imminent that we trade Juan Soto. He has extreme value right now because he is still under team control for two years beyond this year. If your play is, I'll just wait a year and do it then, well, then you're trading him with one less year of team control. Now, if for some reason right now you can't command the kind of trade price you want to command, then I guess don't do it now. But it's hard to believe that you wouldn't be able to command a very massive price for Juan Soto right now. And so I also would throw this too into the mix. I don't think you leak all of this if you're not really open to trading them this season. Like, assuming this came from the Nats, I don't think you put this out there if you're not open now to trading them. Because the reporting wasn't just that he turned down the offer. The reporting also was, hey, we're open for business. We are entertaining trading him. It reminds me of when it leaked that the Nats, that the learners are open to selling the team. It wasn't just, hey, we're selling a portion of the team. Well, we might sell the whole team. I don't know. We're kind of open to anything right now. And it was kind of like, let's put this out there and see what it generates. Are you a law firm partner looking for a better situation for your practice and a blockbuster contract worthy of Juan Soto? If so, you should call Mason Kalfas of Zenith Legal in Washington, D.C. Works with law firms and lawyers on finding the perfect match. No platoons just superstars. Some lawyers switch firms because of conflict. Some lawyers switch firms for a better platform for their practice. And some lawyers switch firms for more money. You need the Scott Boris of legal headhunters working for you. And that's Mason. Mason will work with you to find a better fit for your practice and ultimately the best deal for you and your entire team. Call them today at 202-486-3535 or check out his website, zenithlegal.com. This is an unprecedented time in the legal market, and many top firms are looking to expand. Call Mason today. Zenith Legal also works with associates and distinguishes itself on personal service. Zenith Legal doesn't just spam resumes out to law firms. Zenith Legal talks to the right people and gets your resume in front of the decision makers who matter. Whether you are a Rainmaker partner or a mid-level associate, give Mason Kalfas at Zenith Legal a call today to accelerate your career. Call today, 202-486-3535. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I mean, for me, uh, uh, this is the team I've been since 
what 2015 uh, I've been with this team and I feel good with it and when I get to know the city more it feels great why should I need to change definitely talk to him and just you know tell them that you know sometimes you, you know you just gotta let things plays out that's why we ha we have agents right and i mean um, they'll, they'll handle that, that kind of business so um but i'll tell him just continue to go out there and be you i understand though know, like what he tells me all the time is that you know he loves the game of baseball and that's what that's what he plays for so uh go out there and just play and have fun and don't worry about what's going to happen i mean at the end of the day you're going to get what you deserve we all know that and you know for me i hope it's here you know because I, I love the kid i don't ever think that he's anything else but Washington National and that's that's the way I'm going to view it right now I mean he is a Washington National now the offer I think the offer is really interesting we see a lot in sports teams make offers that they want to look a certain way but they know will be turned down I don't know if this offer falls into that category but I think it's important to point out a few things so again 15 years 440 million dollars the knee-jerk reaction is wow what a ton of money wow how could Juan Soto turn that down well if you do the quick math that works out to 29.3 million dollars per year so the average annual value the AAV is 29.3 million dollars per year that's a low AAV when you're talking about a mega money contract for a superstar, a generational talent like Soto, less than $30 million per year. Do you know that right now, $29.3 million isn't even a top 10 AAV in baseball now? Think about where we'd be five years from now, 10 years from now, 15 years from now. So the AAV right off the bat is too low. And then there's another part of this, which you reported on on Saturday, and I think this is a huge part. A good chunk of the money is backloaded. Now, technically, you can say, well, there's no deferred money in the contract. Yeah, you can. But when you in a 15-year contract have a lot of money backloaded, that in essence, to me anyway, is deferred money. That's deferred money without it being deferred money. So there's that aspect to all of this too. Low AAV, backloaded contract. So I think in a lot of ways, this is a below market offer to Soto, as crazy as it sounds. I think had he accepted this offer, he would have been leaving tens of millions of dollars, maybe even hundreds of millions of dollars on the table. If I'm Scott Boris, I'm not advising Soto to accept such an offer, never mind Boris's history. So, you know, it's a big boy offer, but it also was a refusable offer. This was not the godfather offer. This was not the offer of you make him an offer he can't refuse. This is an offer that he could refuse, and he obviously did refuse. Yeah, I agree with you that $29.3 million would actually not just rank in the top 10. It would be 20th in current average annual salary. Is Juan Soto the 20th best player or deserving of the 20th highest salary in baseball? Probably not. Now, the total 440 would be the largest ever, topping Mike Trout. So, you know, that is something, of course. This isn't a, you know, a fake offer. This is not some kind of uh, fudging the numbers and making it look like it's something that it's not. No, it, it, it's a legitimate real offer. But as you're accurately saying, it's not as much as it could be. And you have to keep in mind the number of years. 15 years is ridiculous. <laughs> now, he's only 23. So that takes him to age, what, 38 going on 39. So if you're Juan Soto and Scott Boris, you don't necessarily want fewer years because you don't want to be a free agent again at 35. That was the whole thing with Bryce Harper. He wanted all those years, 13 years with the Phillies, so he would never have to go through this again. So... It's a complicated thing and it's hard to make work. But let me give you another reason why, this is why I've said all along, it almost, look, maybe there is a magic number out there that if it was made and offered, he would take it and just do it right now. 
Maybe there is. But all along, I have felt like it's almost impossible to come up with that number because the system still benefits Juan Soto or any other star players in his position. Think about it this way. He's making $17.1 million this year through arbitration. It's his second year. of He'll have four years of arbitration because he was a super two player who reached it early. Okay, That system almost always increases your salary by a significant amount year to year, especially when you're Juan Soto and performing the way that he will. So if he just waits this out in two years in 2024, there's a very good chance he's making $35 million just through the arbitration process. And now that's your baseline that you're setting as a free agent when you hit the open market and have 30 teams competing against each other for it. 35 million is a lot more than 29 million if that's your base. So this is why I keep telling people, as crazy as it sounds, when they turn down these mega offers, the system is designed to benefit them if they're willing to wait it out. Yes, there is always the risk of some catastrophic injury, you know, or his career falls apart and suddenly he's not worth that anymore. So there's a little bit of a gamble there, of course. But you're Juan Soto. You're not just any old player. Do we really think that he's not ultimately going to get what he wants when the time comes? No, I think he's going to. And so that's why you do turn down an offer like this. The only other thing to say about the backloading part, it is true, it is backloaded, but two things. Most contracts traditionally pay you more at the end than in the front, which has been kind of an issue that, and a reason that teams have not been doing a lot of these deals for veterans because you end up paying guys so much in their mid-30s that it's not worth it. So there's that. And also remember, they would be buying out these last two years of arbitration when his salary would be lower. So that's why the first few years might be a lower number than he's really worth right now and why it will slowly increase over the length of the contract. So that's part of the explanation of why it would be backloaded. But yes, that is part of that equation. And you're not wrong in saying that that has some similarities to deferring money at the end of the deal. And then the last point there is, if the learners are selling the team as we all expect them to, of course, they're going to push as much money as far back as they can. That's They're not on the books for that. Someone else is going to be on the books for that. Yeah. You know, the more I think about this ownership uncertainty, it really has come at a bad time. I mean, it really has. When you are staring at one of the biggest contract situations this team has ever had, and that's saying something because this team has had a number of significant contract situations, and you're in the midst of selling the team, like put aside the fact that the team is awful, the farm system is bad, and other things. Why, if you're Soto, would you sign a 15-year contract with a team that right now has ownership uncertainty, which could lead to a domino effect of who knows what else? Mike Rizzo could be gone. Davey Martinez could be gone. You have no idea what's coming. Like, even if the team was great right now, would you sign a 15-year deal with an entity that has ownership uncertainty? Like, probably not. So, like, there's that right now. And, you know, I know there's been a lot of conversation about why the learners are open to selling the team. And look, they can do whatever the heck they want to do. But man, the timing of this is really bad for the franchise. Really bad. And if you're a Nats fan, that's one of the things that would really just make me livid is that this is happening now in the midst of this Soto situation. Do you know, have the Nats at all approached Juan about doing one of these shorter term, extremely high AAV deals? Like, do you think the learners or the Nats have ever said to Soto and Boris, what about five years, $225 million? We'll pay you $45 million per year, but just for five years, and then you can re-enter the free agent market in five years. Have, have they even approached that, do you think? I have no sense that that's been brought up. And just from thinking about previous cases, 
I don't think that's Scott Boris's MO at all to do that kind of thing. I mean, the Dodgers try to do that with Bryce Harper. They try to get him for four years at 40 million a year, and they had no interest in doing that. And the reason why is, as I was just saying, he's going to get his money by waiting out the system anyways. And Bryce was in the same position. A superstar player who's going to be a free agent at age 26, that doesn't happen. That just You have to be called up at 19 for that to happen. So are you then going to say, well, I'll take a deal now and then try to become a free agent again at 29 or 30? Generally speaking, that's not going to work. Now, we do know in Boris's case, <laughs> he loves to include those opt-outs, which sometimes do leave a guy becoming a free agent again in his young 30s, aka Steven Strasburg, and look how that worked out. So that would probably be the method for it. But generally speaking, I've never got the sense that Boris likes those kind of short-term, huge dollar deals, especially for guys as young as Juan Soto is. And I want to make one other point about what you said before. 100%, I've said all along, why would you agree to anything until you know who the owner of the team is going to be? Because who knows? It may be someone who jumps in and says, I'm paying you a billion dollars to be a national for the rest of your life. We don't know. I mean, or it could be an owner who comes and says, no, we're stripping this thing all down. We're going to be a low budget team now. So who knows? So I think number one, if you're Soto, why would you commit without knowing the answer to that? And then number two, on the field, don't you think he wants to see some evidence of improvement in the product on the field before he commits to this? And that's why I've said all along, the two things the nationals needed to do or make him a good, realistic offer, you know, legitimate offer, which they are trying to do. But secondly, try to put a winning team on the field by 2024. Because if you're Soto, why are you going to commit to a franchise that at the moment is at an all-time low, and you aren't guaranteed that this thing is going to get better anytime soon? No doubt. No doubt. It was a very sad development on Saturday. It really did feel like the end. And we know that things can change. But, you know, a lot of times in sports, as is the case in life, things end before they actually officially end. Like you look back on how something played out and you're like, yeah, you know, it actually, it really was over when X happened, not when the official end happened. And Saturday kind of felt that way. I know Soto was very down when he spoke to you guys. You know, watching the game on Saturday, I don't want to say it felt pointless, but it kind of just felt like whatever, man, like they're about to lose their best player here. Okay. Like that's how it felt for a lot of people. I'll say two things though, that maybe can make Nats fans feel a little better about all of this. There is the wild card of ownership, which maybe possibly ends up working out in the Nats' favor. If the learners somehow sell the team sooner rather than later, and a Steve Cohen type buys a team, and this person just does not care about spending and throws at Juan Soto a number that he can't refuse, then maybe an extension does get done. If the Nats don't trade Soto this year, if the ownership situation gets resolved within the next year and the new owner is someone like a Steve Cohen or, you know, a Jeff Bezos or whoever you want to say and throws at Juan Soto, you know, bonkers money, maybe possibly a deal does get done. The other thing is this. I find it interesting that this news breaks on the weekend of the start of the MLB draft because I know I feel this way. I'm pretty sure you do, too. As big of a deal as the Soto situation is, right, nothing matters more for the Nats than getting back to being good at drafting and developing players. And we've talked about that so often. And so it's like, on the one hand, yeah, the Soto deal is a really big deal, okay? But on the other hand, the bigger deal 
in a lot of ways is what happens on Sunday night and what happens in that regard moving forward. Because if the Nats don't get better at drafting and developing players, then it doesn't matter if they have Juan Soto. And that's their biggest problem. The biggest concern isn't keeping Juan Soto. It's this team getting back to being good at drafting and developing. And I find it kind of poetic that the draft begins on this weekend, during which you could argue the Soto era is ending. Well, and I'll add to that, and I agree with you on this. Think about it this way. If it's going to cost, let's say, $40 million a year to keep Juan Soto for 15 years, whatever that might be, there's a chance that actually hamstrings the franchise so much that they cannot surround him with the talent that they need to surround him with. Or the only way you can do that is to have young, cheap players, otherwise known as getting them through the draft and developing them yourself. They may not be in a position to sign a bunch of free agents, at least not without being a you know top three payroll in baseball kind of team. Now you're the Yankees or the Dodgers. So there's almost an argument here that 440 is kind of pushing it. Maybe a little bit more than that might actually be too much and could hurt them in the long run. And so right now, the biggest problem with the 2022 Nationals is that they have Juan Soto and nobody else. (laughs) And they run the risk very much so of five years from now still having Juan Soto and nothing else around him. And so number one, they have to be smart about even if they do lock him up in terms that won't prevent them from doing anything else. And number two, they have to develop a team of young players who are homegrown to come up, whether he's here or not. That's the only way this team's going to get back to being contender again. They can't spend their way back into contention. They do not have enough inventory or a payroll ability, even with a new owner. I don't care who you are to be able to buy your way back into being contender again. So yes, this draft, the last few drafts, their player development, all of that is critical And it goes hand in hand. Ultimately, if you are trying to keep Juan Soto, it's because you're trying to win the long run. You're only going to win if you do all those other things too. Yeah. I mean, think about how we came to have Juan Soto at the major league level. The Nats signed him as an international free agent. He and Victor Robles were part of why the Nats said bye-bye to Bryce Harper. When you have good young players, you have the luxury of saying, yeah, you know, I don't really think you're worth $300 plus million, so I'm not going to pay you that. So go ahead and go somewhere else because we have not one but two guys who we think are better. That is a very powerful negotiating position. That's a very powerful position, period, to be coming from. And the Nats had that just a few years ago, and they don't have that right now. And that's part of the issue. It's not an either or proposition, but if you have to choose between keeping Soto and getting back to being good at drafting and developing, it's not a conversation. The answer, of course, is the latter. So we'll see. I mean, August 2nd already was going to be a huge day for the Nats with the presumed trades of, you know, Josh Bell and Nelson Cruz and who knows who else. The fact that Soto now could be a part of that is just nuts. And I guess, Mark, we're just not going to know until we get through August 2nd. Like, I would think This is going to be a thing until 6 p.m. Eastern on August 2nd passes, and then it stops being a thing with either him gone or him staying. Probably so. And I know fans may not want to hear this, but selfishly as a reporter, I kind of want the answer by then. The worst case scenario in some ways is for nothing to happen. And now we're just going to go through this again in the winter and then maybe next summer. And it's the same thing over. It, It just, I think a lot of people both fans, I'm sure too, but also those of us who cover the team are just kind of tired of doing these kinds of things. We already did it with Bryce. We did it with Rendon. We did it with Trey Turner. We did it to an extent with Strasburg until he re-signed. 
you get kind of tired of these things <laughs> personally. Some reporters love this stuff. This isn't why I got into the business. I don't love the contract stuff. I like what happens on the field. I like writing about and talking about what happens on the field. And in a lot of ways, when this came out, my initial reaction was, oh God, here we go again. So not saying I want there to be a negative resolution to this come August 2nd, but I sort of selfishly wouldn't mind there being some resolution, whether that meant signing him then or trading him then, because at least it would be over with and we wouldn't be saddled with this same thing over and over, continuing into the future. It's a shame that we're at this point. You know, Juan Soto, to me, was right there to succeed Alex Ovechkin as the number one sports star in Washington, D.C. Whenever Ovi retires, Soto, to me, was going to take that championship belt, not just because of his talent, but because of his charisma, his personality, you know, his greatness as a teammate, and the fact that he soon could be gone. I mean, it, it's a bummer, man. There's no doubt about that. Well, you mentioned the baseball on the field. What happened on Saturday was uh, rather familiar if you're a Nats fan and have followed the team this season. So, you know, like I said at the top of the show, another loss, 6-3 loss to the Braves. This is a ninth consecutive loss, 15 losses in 16 games. And, you know, we had the Nats down 4 nothing after three innings. And it's like it's another one of these games in which you're down big early. If you're watching the game, you have very little faith that the Nats are going to come back. And uh, as kind of a perfect microcosm for the weekend, the game offensively for the Nats anyway was Juan Soto and Josh Bell and nobody else. Bell had another big game. Bell is having a monster series in this series, so uh, we should acknowledge that. Soto had himself a couple of singles, but otherwise, just not a lot happening for the Nats in this game on Saturday. And this is the same thing we've been seeing over and over. Just against Max Fried, the Braves starter, so for seven innings in this game, you had Soto and Bell go combined five for six, and everybody else went two for 20. I mean, that's the Nats season in a nutshell for you. That's their lineup. This is what they are, what they do. And Davies tried all kinds of different combinations. And let's put Soto ahead of Bell. Let's put Bell ahead of Soto. Let's split them apart. It doesn't matter. When they're the only guys who hit, this is what you get. You had two more killer double plays, both by Cabert Ruiz. The 93rd and 94th double plays the Nationals have grounded into this season in 93 games. This is the same thing over and over again. And you mentioned the losing streak, nine in a row. This is the first time this organization has lost nine in a row since 2008. That was one of the 100 lost teams. That was actually a club record 12-game losing streak. The only nine-plus game losing streaks in team history all came in 2008. That's who they are in 2022. And going into Sunday with what's going to be a bullpen game against the Braves, not a whole lot of reason to think that this isn't going to go to 10 going into the All-Star break. I mean, talk about worst case scenario. You go into the All-Star break with the worst record in baseball on a 10-game losing streak and Juan Soto potentially on his way out the door. That's not a good combination that you want to have going into an All-Star break, is it? No, it's not. And it's going to be hard to enjoy Juan Soto in the home run derby on Monday night and the All-Star game on Tuesday night from a standpoint of you're going to watch him and how do you not think about this could be it for him. Like he could be gone from the team within the next few weeks. And, you know, as time goes on here, it's looking more and more like he will be the Nats' lone representative on the National League All-Star team in terms of players. Davey Martinez will be a coach, but, you know, we're not hearing anything about Josh Bell being added to the team, even though Bell, like I said, is having a huge series. Another big game on Saturday, three for four with an RBI triple, an RBI single, another single. He's been great in all three games 
uh, in this series, but uh, the Nats uh, obviously have not been. By the way, real random minutia type thing. What'd you think about that missed catch error on Bell in the game where his foot comes off the bag? One ball, two strikes. Cano at third, no score, one out. The pitch from Espino is grounded to third, and the runner will hold as Franco looks him back, fires across the stretch by Bell, and the umpire novice says he's off the bag. So Swanson is safe at first. Bell looking into the dugout. We'll see if the Nationals want to challenge this call. I don't know. It's hard to tell whether the foot actually came off the bag, but he ended up getting charged with an error on the play. It was a grounder by Dansby Swanson and Michael Franco. Pretty routine play. And Bell's right foot in extending to catch the throw, I guess, came off the bag and he got charged with an error. I don't know if I've ever seen that before. I thought watching it that his foot was on the base or at least long enough. I mean, we see replays on the monitors in the press box. I thought it was enough. I guess it wasn't enough to overturn the call. But my thinking was just this. Everything about that play, that this is exactly what this team is about. Sloppy play on fundamentals. You can blame it on the throw. You can blame it on the catch. You can whatever. This infield especially, there is no such thing as a routine play for this infield. And not that that was the difference in the game, but it could have put Paolo Espino in a better position than it was. It should have been two outs and one on instead of one out and two on. And then, of course, we know what happens next. He gives up a three-run homer and then another home run. And that's basically your ball game right there. Yeah, Paolo, four runs, three earned in five and a third innings. Uh, we did have an all-CDs Escobar siding in the game. He was an ad starting shortstop for just the second time since he came back from injury. And no Nelson Cruz. He was out off having left the previous game due to quad tightness. Kbert Ruiz was the DH. Tres Pereira was the starting catcher. So one game until the All-Star break. Like Mark said, it will be a bullpen game. And we'll see if the Nats can avoid going into the All-Star break with a 10-game losing streak. Uh, you tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter, at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast, Nats Chat Podcast at gmail.com. We've already gotten a lot of great feedback on the Juan Soto situation. We're certainly interested in hearing what you have to say, your assessment of what's going on here. Again, hit us up at Nats underscore chat on Twitter, Nats Chat Podcast at gmail.com via email. You can get yourself a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt by going to Nats Chat Podcast dot square dot site. That's Nats Chat Podcast dot square dot site. And in fact, a shout out to Eric Murto, who emailed us a photo of him in a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt while waiting out the rain delay at Nationals Park on Saturday. Good looking picture with the sun peeking out from the clouds and Eric sporting his good looking Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt. So we appreciate that very much. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat or courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. Uh, Nats Chat is on the radio on Sunday morning. Sunday mornings at 9 on both 106.1 ESPN in Richmond and Sports Radio 96.5 FM at 8.50 a.m. in the Hampton Roads area. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi, and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. Now Josh Bell and a ground ball, third base side, fair, past the diving Austin Riley down the line. Soto's chugging for third. Rosario digs it out of the corner, so Soto's going to try to score. Rosario has trouble picking it up, so Bell's going to end up at third, sliding in safely. An RBI for Josh Bell scores Soto. The Nationals on the board. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.